And if you've got a Bible, uh, you can turn it to Jonah chapter 2. And um, let's see here. technology. It always works great when it works. When it doesn't work, you're always in trouble, right? Uh, If you turn to Jonah chapter 2, we're going to be working through our verses uh, 1 through 10 and maybe one verse in chapter 3. And uh, I hope everyone's doing well. And uh, we're in our fourth message in this series, a little book called Jonah. And Jonah was a minor prophet, not because of the impact that he had, but because of the length of his book. That's how they classified the prophets in the Old Testament or their books in the Old Testament. And uh, Jonah was a unique prophet because he brought a message of comfort. When you read in the Old Testament, the majority of the prophets always brought a message of gloom and doom and judgment and fire and brimstone. But Jonah was different. His message was a comforting message. So his name literally meant the dove, like a sweet dove. And so when people would see Jonah come or Jonah said he had a prophecy, people would get excited because they knew it was a message of comfort. They knew it was a message of giving them another chance. And um, out of this little message that he gave, uh, the book of Jonah was written out of a real experience that Jonah had uh, with God as he was a prophet of the Lord. And we can learn from Jonah. We can learn from the characteristics of God and the experience of God that he had. And uh, Jonah uh, knew God. And like I said, every time Jonah prophesied, he knew it was a message of comfort, which was a great message, right? Isn't it a great thing to be a, the bearer of good news? Like, you, you don't always want to be the bearer of bad news. But so if you could go and give someone an encouraging message and people like to see you coming, then that's a good thing, right? And so you think Jonah was excited, but Jonah wasn't. Because the people that God had called Jonah to give a message to, Jonah hated Jonah did not like them. Matter of fact, some historical books say that the Ninevites, who was the, or the nation of Nineveh, um, persecuted Jonah's family. So Jonah had a personal problem with them. So instead of bringing a message of comfort, Jonah wanted to bring a message of judgment. Jonah wanted to bring the message of pain. Jonah wanted to bring the message that he wanted them to pay. And so he knew God. And we're going to read about it in chapter 4. And he knew God was going to give them a message of comfort or a message of a second chance. And Jonah didn't like it. And Jonah decided to run. Jonah said, all right, God, this is the message. And I don't even want to hear it because I know what it's going to say. But before he could even get it out, Jonah ran. He went ahead and just took off. He said, I ain't listening to it and I'm going to be gone. And uh, basically, Jonah wanted to do what he wanted to do and not what God wanted Jonah to do. And for us as Christians, many times, that's where we get. We are okay if God does what we want him to do. But when he does something we don't want him to do, all of a sudden we get upset, right? We, we get upset. We, we, like, uh, we like for God to do what we want, but when God really decides to be God, we don't like that. So we put him in a little box. God, as long as you do this, I'll be good with that. God, as long as you do that, we'll be, I'll be happy with that. And we started this series out talking about a question. 
Am I completely and totally surrendered to God? Because when we get to the end of Jonah, we're going to learn he tried a little bit. And we're going to read a little bit about it today. But eventually he went right back to where he was in Jonah chapter 1 and Jonah chapter 4. So for us as Christians, we've got to ask ourselves, am I totally and completely surrendered to God? Because if I'm not, then we've got to ask ourselves, where am I not completely surrendered to the Lord in my heart? Is it in our marriage? Is it in my job? Is it in my uh, parenting as a, as a parent that I want what's best for my kids, not what God wants for my kids? That's a tough struggle. My kids, uh, uh, two of my boys had birthdays this week. One's turned 17, one turns 19. I know you're gasping because you don't think I'm that old, but yes, uh, I am that old. Uh, <laughs> uh, but they, you know, a lot of times we want what we want for our children. We're not willing to say, God, what you want for my children is what I want for my children. So we put them in a box and we say, well, we want them to go to school. We want them to do this. We want them to do that. But yet, a lot of times we've got to open our hearts and say, God, whatever you want. And unfortunately, for most Christians, uh, like Jonah, we just decide to run from God. We run from God instead of doing what he wants us to do when we realize it may be something that he don't want us to do. And so by the end of this series, the challenge was for us to ask ourselves, are we completely surrendered to the Lord? Are we willing to say, God, whatever's in my life, I am willing to obey it no matter whatever or whenever you do something in my life? That's a tough question. Uh, but we're going to learn when we get to the end of Jonah that God does not play second fiddle. That's an old country saying, right? Uh, a lot of times, and I know this was in good uh, a lot of people had good intentions when they put this bumper sticker on their car back in the day. You remember how all the bumper stickers used to be a really cool thing? And the bumper would say, God is my co-pilot. You remember that? Well, God doesn't co-anything, all right? He is God. So he is the pilot. And if anything, we could be the co-pilot. But yet God is not a co-pilot. He doesn't play second fiddle. He doesn't want to be the second one. He wants full attention. He wants to be where he properly should be. And so God, when he's not second fiddle... He, 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 does a, he comes after us. He loves us too much to let us go our own way. He's a good heavenly father, and so he will come after us, and he will not let us ruin our lives. He begins to discipline us. He, he begins to put us through a process that will bring us back, not to punish us, but to restore us. That's the goal. And for us as parents, by the way, that's a great way to understand how you are correctly disciplining your children. If you discipline your children out of anger just to punish them, that's the wrong way to discipline them. Now, wait a minute. I'm starting to preach my family series. I better, go, I better get back to Jonah, all right? We, you should discipline someone to restore them. And that's what God does. He has good intentions for you when he disciplines them. It may not feel good at the time. Like last week, I told you. My dad told me, this is going to hurt me more than it hurts you. And I thought, no way, all right? But now being a parent, I understand what he's talking about, that you do it not as a punishment or out of spite. Same with God. He does it out of love. He wants to restore you, not to just punish you. And so the story goes that Jonah ran from God. He gets on a ship. He's going. The storm comes. It says God sent a storm. The, the sailors begin to freak out, and they're like, who is this guy, and what is God doing? Where, who is it? Uh, someone made their God mad, basically. And they ask everyone on board who it was. They could, they, no one could come up with anything. But Jonah was sleeping in the bottom of the boat. So they go down there. The captain grabs and says, 
are you the one that's causing this problem? He said, yes. And basically, they took him, threw him overboard. <laughs> all right, they're like, we're going to save our lives and you're going overboard. Well, if that wasn't bad enough, all of a sudden, a fish come along and swallowed Jonah. Just swallowed him up. And so as we close chapter one, we see that Jonah is in the fish's belly or he was swallowed by the great fish and God is trying to get his attention and God is disciplining him. So in Hebrews 12, five, it says, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. Do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. So for us as Christians, there's three ways we react to God's discipline. We can ignore it, which it's only going to get worse. We can be angered by it, or we can accept it and repent and be restored by God. And when you read Jonah in chapter 2, he gets it right. But in chapter 4, he doesn't get it right. But today we're going to talk about him getting the right thing. He, he gets it right because here he is in the midst of this belly of the whale, and he finally does what's right, and he responds to God's discipline in a correct way. So I'm going to read verses 1 through 10, and I hope you got it, and you can mark some of the verses you like, and then we can go back, and we're going to go back and talk about it. So Jonah 2, verses 1 through 10. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the fish's belly, and he said, I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol, I cried. That's another word for hell or the abode of the dead, uh, Sheol. And then, and you heard my voice, for you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your billows and waves passed over me. Then I said, I have been cast out of your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The water surrounded me even to my soul. The deep closed in around me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. I went down into the moorings of the mountains and the earth with its bars closed behind me forever. Yet you have brought, me a, uh, brought up my life from the pit. O oh Lord my God, when my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer went up to you into your holy temple. Those who regard worthless idols forsake their own mercy, but I will sacrifice to you with a voice of thanksgiving. I will pay what I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. So the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah out onto dry land. And you think about it, what is the right way to respond to God's discipline? Well, one, we must stop running from the Lord and we must turn to the Lord. The temptation is when God begins to discipline us is to run even harder from the Lord. And the temptation is after we run from the Lord that we begin to get bitter towards the Lord. We begin to get angered at the Lord. And now Jonah was in a point to where he was in the middle or in the middle of this fish's belly and he knew he had no other way but to finally stop and respond to God and to do it in a way that he should be. I also say when we, have, when we are disciplined from the Lord, you have a choice between it being a student and a victim. A victim says, why does all these things happen to me? And we always want to blame someone else, right? It was my wife's fault. It was my husband's fault. It was my kid's fault. It was this. And you want to blame everyone. And our culture loves the victim mentality, does it not? 
Have you met so many people that have been so many victims in their life? I mean, everything that happens to them or everything that is in their life is because they are a victim. Someone else did something to them to cause them to do something wrong. Well, that's a poor way to think about it. And not only just in our regular life, but in our spiritual life too. If we just play the victim card every time, why is God picking on me? Why does God only do this to me? Why is God doing that? And we play, we be a victim that rather than being a victim, we should be a student. God, this happened to me. What can I learn from this? How can I grow from this? What do I need to do to not be a victim, but to be a student? And, and when we get offended, I know it's hard because the first thing you want to do is avoid people. Some of you got here this morning. You said, oh, Lord, I hope they're not here. And someone was here and you went from one side of the hall to the other side of the hall and you sit on the opposite side because you just didn't want to see them. Okay, maybe not you. I did that, okay? <laughs> but I'm not going to tell you who it is, all right? But uh, anyways, you want to avoid them. Same with God. When we run from God, guess who the last person we want to see is? God. So we don't want to go to church because we don't want to hear about God. We don't want to talk to our friends or our neighbors because we don't want to talk about God. The last thing we want to do is anything to do with God, and so we run from them. We avoid not only people, but we avoid God at all costs. But God doesn't let us go. He continues to track us down. He continues to go with us, and he continues to discipline us. And when we go to respond, we can't hide from God. That's why Jonah says, you can go as high as the highest mountain and as low as the lowest part of the end of the, end of the middle of the earth, and God is still there. He's still there. You get rid of one marriage, you go to another marriage, and guess what? It's still going to be there. You still have the same problems. You know why? Because wherever you go, there you are. That's where you are. You bring your problems with you. You bring your issues with God wherever you go, with, with kids or with family or with schools. You can change schools. You can change uh, neighborhoods. You can change marriages. But if you have a problem, guess what? You're still going to have the same problem. You can't run from it. You can't get away from it. So the choice is, am I going to get bitter and angry or am I going to get better? Am I going to be a student or am I going to be a victim? And, and Jonah here, he finally recognizes and acknowledges God's discipline in his life. He says, I know this is happening because I ran from the Lord. I did this and God is doing this to me. And Jonah says he cried to the Lord. He said, the, it's because of the Lord. It's my affliction. And out of the, the depths of, of Sheol, I cried. You heard my voice. You cast me in the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. So he's acknowledging, God, you did this to discipline me because I ran from you. And, and for us, that's the first important step is to recognize God's discipline in our life. And number two, not only we must accept it and recognize it in our life, but we must repent from it. Now, the word repent means to turn. Uh, God wants to break our obedience, our disobedience and our rebellion. And you say, what is repentance? Well, repentance is pretty, pretty uh, deep word. It doesn't just mean regret. A lot of times people have regret that something happens, but yet repentance goes beyond regret. Regret is feeling sorry for something. Repent is to turn from something that that it hurts you or it's moved you so much that you're willing to do something about it. And for us as a Christian, we we should our hearts should break when we're in rebellion to God. That's what he wants, because God can't restore something until it's broken. Until we recognize that we have sinned, until we recognize that we have done something against God's will and it breaks our heart because it broke God's heart. Then God can take it and give us his attention and we can be broken of our sin and we must repent from our sin. Repentance is genuine sorrow that leads to a change of actions. And I think the reason why a lot of Christians don't really repent, 
to be honest with you, is because in most Christian, Christian circles, we've minimalized sin and we've minimalized God's holiness. God's holiness is a standard that we could never reach. And if you read the Old Testament, you realize God is a very holy God. And let me tell you, when you're in the Old Testament, I'm thank God I'm living today. I mean, he drew lines. And if you got on the wrong side of the line, guess what? The ground opened up and swallowed you. I mean, plagues came upon you and things happened to you. His holiness and his righteousness, when you violated, it was a serious thing. So thank God we live in the day we live and we have grace and we have mercy and we have Jesus Christ. But let me tell you, his mercy and his grace doesn't last forever when we continue rejected in our life. At some point, we got to look to God's holiness and say, I cannot keep going down this path. I must repent of my sins. I got to turn away from my sins because I'm breaking God's standards. And as we get broken over our sins, then God can repair us. And you can sense the brokenness here in Jonah's heart. He begins to say, Lord, and he begins to call on the Lord. You, you know, I'm broken. I'm in the middle of this belly of this well. And this is a terrible situation. I'm sorry that I, I've, I've done these things. Same with David in his repentance psalm in Psalm 51. He says, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, thou wilt, that thou, thou wilt not despise me. So in other words, we don't need to worry about these sacrifices of saying, God, I'm going to feel better by going to church. I'm going to feel better by being a good person. I'm going to feel better by doing a good deed. No. What does God say? He wants the sacrifice of what? A broken spirit. He wants the sacrifice of us of the broken heart or a contrite heart over our sin. And so for us, got to ask ourselves, how serious do we take sin in our life? How serious do we take disobedience in our life? Uh, you know, as you raise kids, all three of them are different. And, you know, I have two boys and I have a girl, Courtney. And so uh, Courtney, every time she gets disciplined, the boys always say, you're so soft, Dad. You would have never let us get away with that. You would have done this to us. You would have done that. I mean, you would have thought that they had lived with some sort of, you know, big, uh, I don't know what it was. But anyways, <laughs> they think that they've just caught the whole part of Dad and yet she's just skating by with no discipline at all. But, but for us as Christians, when we think about God, how serious do we take it when we disobey him? Like, do you really know that God's not going to let you get away with that? God's going to come and he's going to discipline us. And when we get disciplined, we must take it seriously and we must repent. We must turn. And this is where the rubber really meets the road. All right. It, it, it was this step where we see if we're really serious with God or not. Because repent, repentance means a change of directions. Matter of fact, in its original term, it was really a military term. You were marching in one direction, they would yell repent, and you'd march in the other direction. Totally different. And for us as Christians, when we tell God we're sorry on Sunday, but we still sin on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, how serious does that tell God we are about our sin? Not very serious. But when we repent, we turn. We, don't, we take away, we put feet to our sorrow. We don't, we're not sorry we get caught. Listen, when you go to prison ministry, you go to jail ministry, every person in there has regret that they got caught. And every person in there somehow, someway seems to find God. Most of the time it's probably because they want something that you're going to give them, cookies or whatever else you give them. So they're going to say, oh yeah, you're a Christian? Oh, praise Jesus. I believe in Jesus Christ too, you know. And they find God. And some do, don't get me wrong. But the majority of people we know they get out of jail, get out of prison, what do they do? They go right back to do, doing what they were doing that got them in prison. 
You know why? Because they regretted they got caught, but they never repented. Now, repentance means you turn, you change. Uh, when you say you repent, not only are you sorrow, sorry and you're broken, but you turn. And for us, when we turn from our sins, that's what God wants to see. When we just have sorrow over or we're just sorry for it, that means we're not really serious about it. So Jonah says, God, I'm sorry and I'm ready to change. God, I want to do what you want me to do. And as we accept God's discipline, as we repent and we surrender to the Lord again, that's the key. So we repent and stop doing what we're doing, but we also surrender to the Lord again. Look at verse 4. He says, Then I said, I have been cast out of your sight, yet I will look again to your holy temple. Then drop down to verse 7. When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer went up to you into your holy temple. And Jonah says, Look, I look again to your holy temple, God. I'm not running from you. I'm not hiding from you no more. I'm looking again to you, God. In other words, Jonah is saying, God, I'm surrendering to you again. I'm taking my heart and I'm giving it to you again. I've repented now and I want God back in my life. I want God back in my heart. See, not that God had abandoned him, but that he had abandoned God. That he did something and he knew it. And he's saying, listen, I'm surrendering again to get God back in my life. He's surrendering to God and his will and fulfilling God's will again. You ask, what is surrender? What does the word mean? Well, the word literally means to willingly give influence or control over your life. Surrender is not coercion. You can make someone do something without them being surrendered to you, right? Kind of like that little boy that was in class, and the teacher said, you're going to stand up. And he said, no, you're not. So she took out a ruler, this was back in old school days, and hit his hand. And he still didn't stand up, and he hit it. she hit his hand again. And man, after about the fifth time, the boy stood straight up, and she looked at him and says, you're standing up now. And he says, well, I may be standing up on the outside, but I'm sitting down on the inside, right? You can be coerced to do something. That's not what, that's not what surrender is. Surrender is a willingness in your heart to do something. So many people have the ideal that surrendering to God's will is like taking bad medicine. You know, I don't know why, but many times medicine tastes really, really bad, right? And when my kids were little, they never gave them a pill because they couldn't swallow a pill, especially Tanner. He always had a problem swallowing pills. And so you'd have to give them the liquid. And so every time they were sick and they needed to feel better, and they knew they needed to take the medicine. But when, you, when we got the medicine out, guess what? You couldn't find them. They would hide. They would run. They would scream. You put, try to put it down their throat. They would spit it back up. They would wipe it all over their face. I mean, they knew they needed it, but yet that's the last thing they wanted to do was to take that medicine. And that's the way some people are with surrendering to God. They know they need to, but yet they, they fight it all the way down. They feel like they're going to miss out on something, especially young people. Man, if I come to God when I'm young, I'm going to miss out on fun. I'm going to miss out on this. I'm going to miss out on all this stuff. And they fight God the whole way. And they know they need to, but yet they won't surrender to the Lord. But they know it's the best thing they need to have in their life. But, but as you think about God's will, you don't need to fight it. You're not missing out on anything because God's will is the best. Let me tell you, Jonah, in the middle of the belly of the well, he would have far been better off just obeying God and going to Nineveh and doing what God told him to do. It would have saved him a whole lot of pain. And in our life as Christians, it would save us a whole lot of pain in our marriage. 
It would pain, save a whole lot of pain in our kids' lives. It would save a whole lot of pain in our, in our lives when we would just surrender to God the first time and not fight it and not resist it. It's like when we, it's like when I got married and then later on when I had kids. When I got married, I had friends that I would hang around. And all of a sudden, I got married and all of a sudden they were like, man, you never go out to dinner with us anymore. You never hang around us anymore. You got married, you can't do that anymore. No, I didn't want to do that anymore. <laughs> you know why? Because I found someone I love more than I love my friends. Like when I said I do to my wife, that's, that's who I'm going to be hanging with. That's who I was going to be with on the weekends. That's who I was going to be with. What's got with, with, with her? Same with kids. When I had kids, I made a commitment to my kids that whatever they were going to do or wherever they were going to go, I was going to be with them. I didn't have to go to baseball games. I didn't have to go to football games. Let me tell you, now that Tucker's older and Tanner's getting older, if you have young kids, you better enjoy it now. I know it's tough. I know you think, man, I got to go here. I got to do that. But it goes by really quick. And then all of a sudden you begin to wish you had a couple more of those days, but yet they're already gone. And yet, for us, we, I knew, and, and I knew for my wife, and I knew for my kids, I wasn't missing out on anything, because I had something far more greater, the joy of being a parent, the joy of being a husband, the joy of having a marriage. It's the same thing with surrendering God's will. You look to things of the world, and yes, you may think you may miss out on some stuff, or you may have a hard time doing things, but yet, you have something so much better. That you don't even consider those things being worthy of having anymore. Because you know you're right with God. You're surrendered to his will. And you have something the world can't give you. Listen, that's the way it is. We need to surrender to God. And it's the best thing you'll ever do in your life. And the last one, we accept God's discipline. We repent. We surrender. And then God restores. This is the good part. God restores. Listen, in verse 9. Jonah says, but I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay what I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. So the Lord spoke to the fish and vomited Jonah out onto dry land. And chapter 3, verses 1 and 2 says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach to it the message that I tell you. How about that? All of a sudden, he shoots, the man, shoots Jonah right out onto the shore, onto dry land. Listen, when we repent, God relents. He no longer keeps you under judgment. Then all of a sudden, he, he relents his judgment on us, and then he restores. Chapter 3 says, the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. I don't know about you, but that's good news for me, because sometimes I miss it the first time, right? And God doesn't say, that's it, no more chances. He says, no, he's faithful to restore the things in our life, and he gives us another chance. He's the God of another chance. He's the God who said, Jonah, I called you. You, re you ran. I disciplined you, but now I'm going to restore you. You get a second chance. And not only a second chance, you read through the Bible, we get more than two chances, right? And that does good for somebody like me because I'm hard-headed. And a lot of times I miss the first chance and I miss the second chance, but I'll eventually get there to where I'll repent. And I know God's not going to stand there with his arms folded and say, no more for you. I'm not going to restore you anymore. No, he gives us another chance. He gives us a second chance. He gives us another chance to get it right with God. And I don't know about you, but I'm grateful for a second chance. When you read Jonah, the message is not that God is narrow-minded and that God wants to punish you. You realize that God loves you. He doesn't want to let you go, and he's ready to give you another chance. He wants you to have the second chance. 
And listen, you may be here this morning and you might feel like you failed in your marriage. You might feel like you failed as a parent. You might feel like you failed God and his will for your life. But listen, if you're willing to surrender your heart to the Lord completely and totally, God wants to give you another chance. He's done it for me, and I know he'd do it for you. If he did it for Jonah, he did it for Moses, he did it for David, he did it for Peter. On Wednesday nights, I hope you'll come or listen online, we're starting 2 Peter when you read 2 Peter, you can't believe that Peter was the same one that stood and denied Christ three times. You can't believe it. You know why? Because God gave him another chance. God gave him a second chance to get it right. And for us, the good news is that God never gives up on us. He's going to come after us. And when he disciplines, we can have another chance. You guys know my favorite verse is 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Listen, if we confess, right, if we come alongside of God and we say we've done wrong, it says he is faithful. How many of you found that God is faithful? He's faithful. He is so faithful that what will he do? He forgives us and he cleanses us from all. He restores us back. He puts us into fellowship with God again. And the question is, have you run from God? Are you running from God? Have you been swallowed by a fish? Hopefully not. If you read that story, it's kind of comical because when he says the, the grass, that was seaweed up all around his neck and his eyes. By the way, they have found another man later on recently who has been swallowed by a well and actually survived five days in the belly of a well. Some of you may smell like that, but you don't, you don't No, I'm just teasing. You haven't really been there five days. But have you been swallowed by a fish? Jonas would say, repent, surrender, and God will restore. Let's pray together this morning.